Good evening to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Well, we made it. We're back. We're back again. We made it to another Advent. A season full of spiritual overtones and undertones. Season of expectation and journey for the faithful. Over the next month, Wednesday night Advent messages are going to be brought to you by a few of the elders here at St. Michael. And our theme is going to be Discover Christmas. And each of us will bring a message about a part of Christmas that will, God willing, help us discover or rediscover Christmas. For this Advent journey, we're going to need something called discernment. And discernment is, of course, the part of the Christmas story we'll explore tonight. So, what is discernment? Cue slide. Yes! Merriam-Webster defines discernment as the ability to grasp and comprehend what is obscure or as the act of perceiving something. And then we might look at the verb form, which is to discern. To discern is to detect with the eyes or other senses, to recognize or identify as separate, distinct, to come to know or recognize, to see or understand difference. These definitions are a decent start, but as we go through the readings from tonight, we're going to discover a spiritual context for these definitions as well. But suffice to say for now, discernment is a skill of understanding, recognizing, differentiating, or deciphering something. So the next question is then, why do we need discernment? And the answer, of course, is fairly obvious. Because our days are chock full of noise. We're bombarded by words, images, sounds, if you're me, by catchy tunes that you can't get out of your head. General information, all the time, nonstop, it's everywhere. We're inundated by media intended to convince or persuade. Advertisers and marketers have more data about our behavior than they've ever had before in the history of humankind. I mean, even the news looks at how we consume information and then bombards us with so many stories, it's hard to know what is important. I'm pretty happy about this one. I've got some visuals to illustrate this point. I did a little experiment uh, about a month or so ago. I took some screenshots of stories on CNN.com. So we'll go ahead And cue number one. It's not there? There's no screenshots? There's no screenshots. It's okay, Sue. I'll press on. I'll have to describe them for you, so that's another 45 minutes. Here we go. Suffice to say, I really enjoyed this experiment. I can summarize it quickly, believe it or not. I took a snapshot at 8 a.m., and I had one headline. And I could barely decipher the headline because the ad above the headline was as big as my face. It took up three-quarters of the screen. And then there was a bunch of teeny little headlines along the side. Okay. And I go to 11 o'clock, three hours later, totally different headline. (laughs) Big, bold letters, different bold letters in a different way with a picture now. Different headline. I checked it again at 1.30, took a screenshot, and it changed again, only there was a big ad. The cool thing was it was the same ad at 1.30 that was there at 11, so at least we had some consistency for a few hours. Then I checked it one more time at 
Different picture, different headline, different news, right? And I started to wonder, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal this sort of from a, a Disney movie. You may get this, you may not. I see a lot of Disney movies. <clears throat> By the end of the day, it kind of felt like if everything's a headline, nothing is. Now, just so that you faithful Fox News folks don't get too comfortable out there about CNN's foibles, I checked the Fox News site this past weekend, and, and I found some really interesting headlines there, really insightful stuff. You ready? Here we go. First one, Amazon unveils Cyber Monday deals. No big deal, right? Except that I saw it midday on Black Friday. I'm not even done with Friday. I'm not even on the Internet yet, and you guys are telling me about Cyber Monday. Okay, next one. <laughs> How to handle holidays with a narcissist. Thank the Lord for that article. Next one, e-cigarette explodes on camera. <laughs> what? And uh, post-election relief behind Boost and online shopping. Another hallelujah. Whew, good for that. And finally, <laughs> this gem, business is booming for Donald Trump impersonators. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that's good news. I mean, there's just nothing but good news. E-cigarettes blowing up and whatnot. With so much information getting thrown at us, and how do we know what's important? What do we pay attention to? And as you all know, the digital world never sleeps. It goes where we go, or maybe more appropriately, it goes wherever we take it with us. But to a significant degree, it's all noise. Noise, noise, noise. All urging us on to the next very important thing before we've had a chance to digest the thing we've just heard, and the thing before that, and then the thing before that, and then that video before that, and that catchy tune prior to that. And the fact is, folks, you're going to love this. Uh, it's changing us. It is. It's making us different. In March 2015, Time Magazine reported the results of a study conducted by Microsoft. The study determined that human beings, I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh, human beings now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Don't ask me how you measure it. That's a scientist's job, not mine. Seriously, a goldfish. Goldfish comes in with an attention span of nine seconds. We come in with a whopping eight seconds. We're close, folks. We can still recover. So given that lack of attention span, what do we do amid all this noise? Well, to survive, we try and learn to tune it out, right? We need filters. We need to discern what's important from the unimportant and then we need to pursue that which really matters. Now, the Christmas story can teach us a great deal about what discernment is and how we need it now more than ever, more than ever, to protect our faith and help us establish some focus despite all the noise. In our first reading today, we heard the story of the wise men. Matthew 2, 1 through 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Why do these men embark on this journey? Oh, this is easy, right? They see a star and they follow it. Good. Basics down. Very good. Except, I have more questions. There's more to chew on here. First, 
How'd they see the star? They were what? AP class is next door. The AP class, Tony, is next door. (laughs) They always get there before I do, these guys. You're right. It wasn't chance, was it? It wasn't chance. Like they're standing in the mall parking lot, packing Christmas stuff into their car, and they're like, oh, a star. We should follow that. Nope. It wasn't chance. See, I imagine these men were experts on stars in their day. Maybe they knew constellations. Maybe they could read seasons changing based on the appearance of new stars, the temporary absence of others. But whatever their expect, or expertise, excuse me, these men are searching the stars for something. Maybe searching the stars for years. And they're trying to read something from them or encounter someone in them. So maybe they had expectations about that first Christmas. Let's take a a little break here for a second on expectations. I want to talk briefly about expectations. We kind of have funny expectations, a lot of us, don't we, around Christmas? I hope I'm not just speaking for myself or I'm really about to air my dirty laundry. We apply overinflated expectations to family time. Gatherings with friends, somehow they should be more special. Holiday parties at work, holiday sales, special foods. There's nothing wrong with special food. But many of us are intent on milking every drop from the Christmas season. Every little bit of magic. But we tend not to simplify anything, really, in order to make this happen, do we? Nope. We pack it all together right on top. So you got your busy life and then you got your Christmas stuff and you just stuff it together. And then, this is kind of funny, then we sing songs about peace on earth and silent night while we run around like crazy people, spreading ourselves thin. Kind of makes me wonder if we don't confuse exhausting with peaceful. (laughs) I'm not convinced anymore those are the same thing. But anyway, let's get back to the reading. Keep that in mind about expectations. Because the wise men expected something from Christmas. Because when they see this star, this moving star, this odd star, it points to really important news. And I don't mean like web page news full of ads. No. This star captivates the Magi so much that they up and leave to pursue it. Literally. And it seems from these details alone that the Magi were diligently searching for something or someone. So, of course, that gets obvious in the following verses then, right? When they, uh, they come upon King Herod near the end of their journey. And they say to King Herod, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? <coughs> Whoa. Wait a minute. Time out. Let's stop there for a sec. Um, aren't they talking to the king of the Jews? Can you imagine how awkward that conversation was? I mean, are they dense? Are they not quite as wise as maybe we thought they were? No. That's not it. Right? That's not it. Herod is obviously not the king that they came looking for. So how did they come to know about a different king of the Jews? Think they got that all from a star? Hmm. I think not. But naturally, this whole exchange freaks out King Herod because, in fact, he still happens to think he's king of the Jews. So Herod pulls together the chief priests and the scribes the good religious people. And he asks them, what's going on? And they, of course, refer to a passage from Micah. 
where it foretold that a ruler, a shepherd of the people of Israel, will come out of Bethlehem. Hmm. That's a fascinating turn, isn't it? So the good religious people, excuse me, know scripture, foretold of a holy birth in Bethlehem, yet not one of the Gospels, not one of the Gospels calls out any of them in any way for seeking the infant Jesus the way the Magi are. It's odd. None of them are after the same star? So the good religious people knew the scriptures. They didn't quite have their finger, though, on God's plan. I don't know. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they had their own expectations of what Christmas should be like. Maybe they were so committed to their own messianic expectations that they weren't as in tune with what God was really doing and had planned to do all along. So back to our previous question then. How the wise men know the star heralded heralded this new birth? And frankly, I'm not entirely sure. And the gospel doesn't really say, but I have to wonder if they didn't also know the scripture passages like the one from Micah. And I have to wonder if this story is written in a way that draws us into a comparison between the Magi and these good religious people. Because in that comparison, we can decipher maybe some essential differences. By the way, decipher, difference, these are buzzwords. Buzzwords for a definition of discernment. Good. So, for one, both groups may know the scriptures, but it's only the wise men that are diligently seeking God's Messiah here. It's only the wise men who actively participate in the advent of Emmanuel. And you've got to be some kind of faithful, folks, to pull your camel up to a stinky major with a star floating above it and still expect to find God's son inside. Seriously. Like, here? Seriously? Right? Gets even better, though, because they go inside and they see this humble couple and they give this humble couple extravagant gifts, don't they? And they worship this baby in the lowliest of places, a place where there are animals, dirty animals. Folks, that's faith in action. Whew. No wonder the Spirit moves among these men. And we do know the Spirit was involved, right? Who else could be guiding the special star? But interesting, isn't it, that the Spirit doesn't seem to be moving the same way among the good religious people of the day. The story shows us that the Magi focus on things that matter, and those things are of divine value. This is definitely apparent at the story's end when they're presented with a choice, right? They choose here. Do I go back to Herod, who said, hey, could you tell me where that Jesus is? Because I'd love to go see him too, and we know what he has in mind. Or they could listen to the prompting of the Spirit, and they could avoid Herod on their way back. What do they do? They block out the noise of Herod, noise of the world, of wrong expectation, and they discern the proper path, recognizing God's plan and choosing to obey it. So now we find similar themes in our second reading tonight. In this reading, the new parents, Joseph, Mary, take baby Jesus to the temple for a sort of a dedication. And here we encounter a righteous and devout man named Simeon. Verse 26 says, The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would witness the Lord's Messiah. So much like the Spirit prompts the Christmas star, here the Spirit urges Simeon to enter the temple while Jesus is there. Simeon recognizes the infant Jesus, and raises him up and praises God. Hold up. Hold up. Imagine this is you for a second, people. 
It's not like Jesus was wrapped in a blanket that says, Messiah, 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 Messiah. Right? It's not like the parents are wearing their Team Messiah jerseys. They're not. So how does Simeon know that it's this baby? How does he know he's looking for an infant in the first place? Now, you could say the Scripture told him. True. That's a good point. I can't argue that. But the Gospel doesn't say whether or not the Spirit specifically guided Simeon to this particular young couple and their baby. It only says the Spirit guided Simeon into the temple at the right time when Mary and Joseph were there with Jesus. I find that curious. See, I think Simeon knows the promises of Scripture regarding the Messiah. I think Simeon knew the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14, which is our verse from uh, this past weekend, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. That's how he knows he's looking for a young woman with a baby boy. So he comes across Mary and Joseph. Maybe he hears a reference in passing to Bethlehem. And he vaguely stands there. He's vaguely recalling, like, Bethlehem. There's something significant about Bethlehem. I remember something about Bethlehem. And there's something about Bethlehem. And he's racking his brain. And the Spirit's like, oh, here we go, Simeon. Remember this part? And then he's like, oh, right, Micah 5, 2. Mm, yes, same reading, maybe, that the good people earlier in the first reading knew as well. And so he sees Mary and Joseph with his infant boy. These scripture passages come to mind and heart. He's filled with praise, and he's on fire with the Spirit. And he can't help but lift up this uniquely powerful blessing, Emmanuel, God in the form of a baby. Think about this for a sec. I love to do this. I love to just pause on these moments because they're special. He literally holds the power of creation itself, the power of creation itself in his hands, human hands. See, Simeon is a discerning man, and as the Bible says, the Spirit rests upon him. Now, in his excitement, he praises God, of course, proclaims the little baby here, Jesus, is salvation, which God prepared in the presence of all people. He calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Simeon's words here are gospel. They're good news. They're glad tidings of great joy. And these initial words are a little more in line with what the Jews of the day may expected may have expected from Christmas. These words kind of hint at a future political powerhouse king who could overthrow the Romans, establish the kingdom of the Jews on earth in perpetuity. Boom, get it done. But what Simeon says next is as troubling or has troubling implications for the common Jewish Jewish expectations. I will speak English here at one point. What Simeon says next is, is troubling because it challenges the common Jewish expectations of Christmas. For Jesus, Simeon prophesies, will cause the falling and the rising of many people in Israel. Jesus will be opposed and yet will expose the inner thoughts of many. And then Simeon leaves these poor young parents, I feel for these parents right here, with a cliffhanger. He's looking at Mary right in the eyes and he says to her with this little baby, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So we go from super cool, super powerful, glorious Messiah King leader guy to these haunting words. Where does this come from? Where is he getting this stuff? The answer is scripture again. Simeon knows his stuff. He knows the prophecies of Psalms 22, 69, and 118. 
that speak of the rejection of God's Messiah. Or the prophecies of the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 through 53. Simeon's read these scriptures. He's kept them in his heart because Simeon is a discerning man and the Spirit rests upon him. So, not only does he know Scripture, okay, but Simeon expects God to fulfill his promises. He expects to participate in that. That's why the gospel passage says Simeon was, quote, looking for the consolation of Israel, unquote. I love that verbiage in this particular translation. But I think the consolation of Israel meant something a little bit more than just seeing God's Messiah. There's a whole New Testament undercurrent here. For Simeon, the consolation of Israel is the fulfillment of the Isaiah 7.14 passage we just read about a baby being Emmanuel. For Simeon, the consolation of Israel is the fulfillment of Genesis 12.3, which says, God speaking, I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this is the passage that reverberates in my mind when I hear what Simeon had to say about Jesus as a light to the Gentiles and glory to the Jews. And finally, the consolation of Israel for Simeon is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. Let's do one more time on that last part. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Now that seems to more deeply define what discernment means in a spiritual context. Now, we don't have time to delve into the uh, brief paragraph about Anna that follows the Simeon story, but the themes resonate there, too. These readings show us that faithful people know God's Scripture. They seek Him out, and they follow the prompting of the Spirit. They recognize His work in such a way, in such a way, that they can actively participate in His redemption story. These faithful people may have marveled at how God worked. We all marvel at how God works, right? Sent a baby? What? But, unlike some of the others of that day, they didn't seem to have any questions about where God worked. They were prepared and ready to move at just the right time. And if you go back through these stories, go back through them later, you'll see references to timing in each one of them. And it's references to exact timing. The Magi, Simeon, and Anna. They all have the proper spiritual expectations of Christmas. And it's because they're discerning people. And so the Spirit rests upon them. Now what do we have in common with the Magi, with Simeon, with Anna? What do we have in common with the ancient Israelites of that day? Like them, right now, we're waiting for Jesus. There could be no better way to prepare your heart to receive Christ at Christmas than by seeking him diligently in Advent. But to do this, we have to practice discernment. 
We need discernment because, as Jesus says in John 5, quote, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. It's our job to participate in that work. It's our privilege. So how do you get to be as on point as the Magi, Simeon, or Anna when it comes to God's work? How do you block out the noise of the world? You get ready. You prepare. You commune with God. You pour over his word. You ask it questions like we did tonight. Don't be afraid in the quiet of your home to go, hold the phone. Wait, how'd we get here? Right? Scripture doesn't always give you those details, but the Spirit will help you through them. You write the word on your hearts. Cherish these holy stories. Then you lift your eyes and you look around. You look for him. You seek him. You seek him desperately. And then you expect to find him. I love Hosea 10.12, which says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That is our dedication for Advent. Now, you guys know this. Right now, our world is in a particular state of anxiety. Our country even our communities, are divided by the outcome of an election. Some people are fearful, some are unsure, some are unsteady, and most are curious about what's to come. And in the midst of all that noise, the best thing that we can do this Advent to, is, is to break the fallow ground, like it says in Hosea, and allow the Lord to plant seeds in it so holy wonders will grow out of them. That is what discernment is about. Seeking God desperately and then finding him. May it be so for each of us as we embark on our Advent journeys tonight and in the coming weeks. Amen.